Hello, good afternoon, good evening and good night. Uh, this is episode 22 of the uh, Talking Talky podcast. I'm coming to you live from the third rock from the sun and joining me this week are Nick French, well past his bedtime. Hello. Hello, how are we? And Ben Curry is here as well. Good evening. Hello, everybody. Well, um, we joined all right-minded people, really, um, in boycotting social media over the weekend. So we thought it's probably best not to record a podcast either. So uh, we're back. We've got lots and lots and lots to talk about. Uh, much to discuss is the phrase that is used on another of our um, Talk United podcasts. So let's crack on. Tackle it in chronological order. Saturday, 3-1, Eastley. Yeah, 3-1, and I thought we played really well. I don't know what um, what you chaps thought, but it was a comprehensive win. It could have been about 12. Uh, played really nicely and made Eastley look very, very ordinary when, in fact, they probably could have been quite dangerous. I'm disappointed that it was a comfortable win and we didn't have to rely on a last-minute goal to get the game won, to be honest. I thought it was far too comfortable, far too relaxing. It was more fun, um, no. isn't it? When we have to, yeah. you have to wait for a, a squeaky bum time winner. Uh, but no, it's as you said, um, it was probably our best performance out uh, for, throughout this entire run. And um, it always helps when you get the early goal. And I was as surprised as anybody when Billy Waters cut in from the right hand side, used his left peg, and then absolutely twatted it into the top corner. It, it was a beautiful goal. Uh, I think he was as, as surprised as anyone else as well. Um, and then in the past, we've had a habit of kicking ourselves uh, in the foot, but but really we carried on in the same vein, um, swamped their goal on occasion, and the only disappointment at half time was it wasn't more than one nil because we it was the most dominant display I've seen for a long, long time. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was one of those where you kind of thought, I wonder if we're going to end up going on and scoring, you know, three or four. Um I mean, it, the one thing that I, I found with the goal that we scored was the it, the really good front play between Bowden and Waters. It was a it was a lovely win from Bowden from the ball forward, and there's just those little signs there that there's a, a nice little partnership starting to brew. Um, I mean, obviously we'll get onto it in a minute. The, the Chesterfield sort of celebration that, that, that sort of Bowden came down to the touchline and angered a lot of people, but they seem to have this really good little sort of friendship and partnership going there at the moment. Um, and like you say, you know, Billy Waters has, has now started to really, really kick on him and started to become the player that, that Sam Drew thought he was. <laughs> he loves a um, he, he loves a new player and a sort of, oh, yeah, I've, this guy, he's, he's this, he's that, he's the other. I've never yet seen Sam Drew, and this includes going back to signing like, Eyes Down Christie and that. Go no, this guy's mince. He's absolutely useless. I'm being a bit unfair, but no, he he does sort of like a he likes it when we sign players because he always thinks they're going to do really well for us. And because we're talking like eighty percent of the time, he's wrong. Yeah, he's always, I mean just men- just fun. just mention Lloyd James from um, last season, who he was absolutely frothing over. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, In fairness, I, we've so- all been there because I said. Uh, Damian Mazika was going to be the, the saviour of our football club and in six games I think he impressed for about 30 seconds I had Carl Hawley down as our saviour and record goal scorer and uh, that sadly didn't happen so I, I'm guilty as well oh, I've got Effie, Effie and Williams is still my computer password 
<laughs> oh, lovely. Just make a note of that. Uh, Craig Underhill t- will have written that down. Yeah. yeah. Our two follow our two followers will be cyberquiving you tonight. Yeah. They bloody well at all, <laughs> won't they? How talk United is this? So three minutes into a podcast where we've picked up six points and we're top of the league and looking like winning it. And we've managed to find like rubbish players to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. It's classic talky. So, yeah, to bring, it, bring it back, bring it back to Eastley. Yeah, um, I I just wonder because I thought some of our play in the first half, especially, was extremely fluent. And we, you know, we've been effective and solid and disciplined in recent games and got results, but we haven't been particularly fluent. And I just wonder whether those two late goals against Notts County and uh, Aldershot really gave the players a real shot in the arm that that they felt not invincible or unbeatable, but they just felt like they could overcome any obstacle that I was throwing at them because I think it, it almost felt like they were played with a bit more freedom in that first half because really we took the game to Eastley and as as we said before, it, it could have been, maybe should have been 2 or 3-0. Yeah, I think there was there was a real a real crispness to our passing. We, we, were, we were playing some lovely, clever, intricate balls in between uh, Eastley players. Um, you know, we looked really good and I think, like you say, uh, the shot in the arm, it, they they sort of started playing with a real belief, and you can sort of see that from a lot of the the play. There was some there were some great passes into the channels. There was players that were expecting the passes that were coming, where that wasn't necessarily the case early on in the run when we were starting to try and find some form. Your own luck. You you put yourself in a position to take advantage of situations that crop up as they come. And there's no two ways about it. Finding Ben Winter it's six yards out and in space to fire in an overhead kick eight minutes into added time from a long throw in a game where we hadn't been particularly good was luck. But it's what you do with that then that counts. And we saw it all those years ago with like older shot when they came to play more and it was us and them vying for the title and... 90 plus, they got the howler from uh, Mikel Anderson to give them the first goal. We equalised, and then 90 plus, whatever, 90 plus four, 90 plus five. They find that incredible winner that we're all very familiar with. The away end goes nuts, they win the title, and we don't. It's kind of that Notts County goal a little bit, and maybe even ironically, the older shot one there, thereafter, two or three days later, had a little bit of the feel of that. of We've put ourselves through hard work in a position where taking advantage of those odd moments can put us top of the league and can put us in the driving seat. We've taken them and now it it feels very much ours to throw away, which is not a comfortable position for any Talkie United supporter. So uh, second half and uh, the onus is on us to uh, manage the game properly because two games in 48 hours, which is an absolute clown shoes uh, part of uh, fixture organising by whoever's in charge. That is ridiculous. In in this season of all seasons, at this point of the season, you know, four-fifths of the way through it, uh, with, with players falling over left, right and centre, hurting themselves, it's ridiculous that National League players have to play twice in 48 hours. And I don't know why they couldn't just put it back to the Tuesday and everyone play at seven o'clock as as per normal because there was no fans could go to the ground. So I don't really see who who's having a hardship for doing that. But anyway, with that being the case, you know, you've got the game managed to make sure you're fit and healthy going into that. So you want as 
stress-free second half as possible. And we scored at just the right time with Asa Hall nodding in a corner three or four minutes after the break. And it was actually one of the best corners we've put in in a long, long time. Yeah, we spotted their um, spotted their zonal marking was six yard and just not six yard. And Hall, because he's been doing this for about 75 years, got up, ran straight across the face between the two zones along the six yard line, just waiting for the ball to arrive. That was definitely something they talked about at halftime. I don't know whether the players have spotted it or Johnson. Somebody has said, this is what they're doing. This is what we need to do to combat that. Straight in, lovely goal. Um, quality delivery by Andrews, who probably warrants his own special mention. Um, we'll come on to um, what he did in the Chesterfield game and how it was described in some quarters um, before long, I'm sure. But the um, the way he's played, didn't have his best game. I'm sorry, Jakey, mate, if you're listening. Didn't have his best game against Eastleigh. Um, he was probably the only one who didn't play to his full potential, but he was still a perfectly solid 7 out of 10 um, and managed to sort of find find that assist um, and, and one or two other key passes. Gave the ball away a little bit too much for, for his recent sort of good run. But yeah, what a, what a great ball. Obviously something that they'd spotted and worked on and devised over half-time, executed really nicely. 2-0 should really at that stage have been game over and then of course wasn't no I mean we we sort of shot ourselves in the foot at that point but the nice thing is we shot we shot ourselves in the foot with a two-goal lead which doesn't <laughs> tend to happen it seems to be the case that we 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 shoot ourselves in the foot when we've got a one-goal lead and then we have to try and go and actually win the game again um it, it was one of those games that even though they had another chance shortly after they scored it was never I was never uncomfortable even they, when Moxie absolutely took out their guy on the edge of the box, I, I was head in my hands. Best challenge I've seen all season. Oh, he it knew was, what he was doing there, didn't he? He proper clattered the bloke, knew exactly where it was. And I rather liked the, I watched the highlights again earlier. I, I really rather liked the um, sort of the way he just walked past him. The guy goes down, rolls around. I'm sure it hurt, but I don't think it hurt that much. And, and Moxie obviously gets booked. The referee says something to him. He sort of casually looked over his shoulder, just waves a hand, like, yeah, yeah I know. I, I've been doing this a long time. I did it deliberately. Um, and the, the look he gives the guy as he walks back, he's like, oh, come on, get up, son. I didn't hit you that hard. You've got the free kick. What more would you want? Walks back into the middle, completely ignores the bloke from then on. Extremely amusing. None of this, you know, high-fiving for, oh, no hard feelings, mate. It was like, no, I clattered you. Bollocks, don't care. Get up. Oh yeah, he, he smashed him. I mean, it was it was reminiscent of his second yellow card against Sutton at home, when he just went flying through somebody where there was no real need to. I mean, there was more of a need to on Saturday because he was he was going to put a decent cross in, I would imagine. But uh, I was more worried about a second yellow card for Moxie than I was a second goal for Eastleigh. They just they for, for a side that was sixth or seventh in the league going into the game, they never did anything that made me think I can see why you're here. I can see why you're in the end of season shakeup. They they don't deserve to be anywhere near it. No, no, not at all. Um, I certainly don't think I was. Uh, I was actually thinking the same thing myself about the Chesterfield side. I, you know, they're all right, but they're not. I seem. I don't know. Maybe it's rose-tinted glasses, but I always remember the top sides last time we were in the conference, um, like the buckle years. It's um, 
it felt like the good sides were really, really good. And when you think about the names that are in this division now, Notts County, Wrexham, Chesterfield, us, all the ex-league sides, you, you would imagine that the top dozen would be real good quality teams. But it just they just don't seem to be this year. I don't know whether it's coronavirus that's affecting it or the division just isn't very good this year for some reason. Whatever, I don't know. But it seems to me like the unless you are one of the top, say, three sides now, because I think Sutton looked quite good yesterday. Stockport obviously are a decent side. The money they've spent, they bloody better be. And we look pretty good. So I think the top three are pretty pretty well sorted. But the others, uh, I don't know, maybe Hartlepool come halfway and then everybody else below them. They're just much of a muchness, I think. Well, we've taken six points off two so-called playoff contenders. And... In either game, did we have to break stride not to do that, really? I don't really think we've got our second gear. And then you look at the players we're still missing, even though we consider ourselves to be out of this injury crisis. We're missing Aaron the Main, Danny Wright, Ben Whitfield, Carl Cameron and Joe Lewis. And we've just had Benji Kimpioka just able to come back onto the bench. Six players there straight away who would walk into any team in this, in this division straight away. They're six first-team players. Yeah. Then you've got Andrew Nelson, who we paid uh, a, a wage to all season, hasn't kicked a ball for us, and he was meant to be our, our, our great hope. Liam Davis, Ga- uh, Gary Johnson, continually calls the best fullback in the league. He hasn't kicked a ball for us this season. And so you're looking, that's pretty much our second string team there, or, or there, thereabouts, and we've won those two games at a canter. Yeah, walked, walked past um, Chesterfield. Eastley, we played really nicely. Uh, Chesterfield, we played slightly less nicely, although... Um, I'm starting to think that might be tactical rather than whether we can be bothered to play nice, neat football or not. Um, But we didn't have to try very hard to beat Chesterfield, really, as you say, second gear all the way. And that is without eight, eight players who would almost certainly start. I mean, no, it's not the injury crisis we had two months ago where we had 13 players out or whatever but that's still an awful lot of talent and quite a lot of the budget as well I should think taken up by players who aren't able to kick a ball and when you look at some of the teams around us I'm thinking Hartlepool and Stockport particularly Sutton don't seem to have done it but they haven't had to because they haven't had an injury all season Hartlepool and Stockport between them have even over the last say six weeks signed, recalled, released, furloughed, done other things with probably a dozen players with three or four games of the season left today. And you like, well, what we were you playing at, lads? Where's your budget coming from? And sort of, why haven't you spent it up to now? Why have you got money left? I don't understand Stockport are in a position where they've basically got unlimited money. But why haven't you been using that budget earlier on in the year? You know, spend it all season keep some in reserve obviously for January and loans and other things but if you've got all this money left maybe the reason you aren't top is because you didn't blow enough of it earlier on I don't know I think that Stockport have just continued to throw money at it to try and find the right combination you know throw enough shit at the wall and some of it will stick is is very much their their mantra for the season we've we've kind of we invested in our squad we had a squad early in the season and and that showed because we were 12 points clear. If you look at the amount of money that we've probably spent in wages in players that have been unavailable for particular games, 
we've probably, you know, we've had half the budget of those sides, if, if not less than that, because we've had, like you say, 13 players out at times. We could have filled a, a, an entire match day squad with players that were unavailable. Um, so, yeah, these these sides who, who aren't at the top of the league or who don't win the league really only have themselves to blame. Yes, they do. Very much so. Themselves and Gary Johnson, probably, for being a managerial genius. But we'll let them blame themselves. We'll, we'll sort out Gary Johnson's statue later, once we've, after these next four games. Um, yeah, so that, that was Eastleigh. We, sorry, well, we, haven't men- we haven't mentioned Jake Andrews' free kick. Oh, no, sorry. We haven't mentioned Jake Andrews' free kick. Tell us about Jake Andrews' free kick, Ben. Well, uh, it was one of those, their four days forward, which... Um, was out of the ordinary and at the time was pressure releasing because Eastleigh was starting to to you know throw a few men forward and looking without really creating anything decent. We look like, oh, we've seen this a million times before. We know how this is going. So I think it was uh, Connor Evans who got chopped down on the edge of the box. And I think it was at the exact same time that Amani Little was primed and ready to come on. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think it was Ray and Dave saying, oh, it wouldn't be funny if... Um, Armani came straight on and uh, just uh, primped it into the top corner. And uh, Jake said, no, none of that. That's not happening. And he placed, I thought the wall was disastrous. And, and I would question the goalkeeper's positioning, but he curled it really, really nicely, low into the bottom corner. And we've seen him do it a couple of times before, actually. He, he's, he is good at that particular free kick where he gets it low and bends it right into the corner. And um, I think it was about 15 minutes to go and it was perfect time time to, to score the third and uh, pretty much wrap the game up. Yeah, it just took the sting out of things, didn't it? It, it was it was the perfect time to score. And I think, as we've discussed before, the, the cumulative total of, of Jake Andrews' distance to goals is is quite something to behold. I don't know if there'd be anybody that could could hold a candle to that. It was another sort of 20-plus yard strike. Um, but as you say, he, he hadn't had a great game and yet still had the confidence to step up 13 minutes from time. And I'm... I'm it was a lovely free kick. Yeah, right in the corner. No saving it was there. Um, I sort of can't believe it. I almost forgot to talk about it. Um, yeah, very nice. Uh, Ben's right. That wall was an absolute disaster. <laughs> Four men stood right in the goalie's eye line, and then about a three-yard gap, and then another two idiots just fanning about on the end near the edge of the box, not doing anything. So the, draft no the draft excluder might have stopped it. He may well have done, yeah. It's um, laying down behind. That's ridiculous. He got what an stop. awful tactic. It's it's right. one of those free kicks where you actually point at the screen and say, if he puts it right there, he scored. Yeah. And lo and behold, he put it right there and he scored. Yeah, it was the, the left-footed version of uh, Littles against Yeovil on yes. Boxing Day, which was equally nice. I wonder if, I wonder if one of them taught the other the technique maybe of of doing oh, maybe you know they just know because they're professional footballers but i wonder if one of them saw the other doing it maybe after after training one day for a half hour or whatever and said oh i wonder if i could learn how to do it. and then started copying it or or what i don't know but it would be it, lads if you're listening and that did happen let us know won't you that would be amusing to find out so yeah three one Routine played nicely, but a fairly routine win against a pretty ordinary Eastleigh side set us up nicely for a very, very quick turnaround trip to Chesterfield, 
who I was much more concerned about than I was with Eastley. I'm at that point now where I'm resigned to us talking it up. And I figured five games to go, we're top. They're by reputation or by league position, probably an all right side. We're away. This is where the the talking starts and we're going to end end the season on you know five straight losses. Think back to the League Two season under Ling, you know, where we were going great guns and then that bloody um, crew goal sunk us and then we just we limped into the playoffs and didn't go anywhere from there. That kind of thing is what I've been expecting since since Eastley, I didn't think we did very well against Eastley, and then we did. Same thing for Chesterfield. I thought the same thing would happen. You know, we'd probably limp to a, a routine 2-0 defeat. And as it was, we didn't. We played slightly differently than we had against Eastley, but no less effectively. And I was very, very happy at full time. Yeah, so was I. It was it was one of those. It was it was a workmanlike performance. It was it was a real they were back to the walls for for the majority of the second half. It was it was one of those games I was concerned about as soon as I switched the stream on, because having gone through the run in January and February where we just there was the wind and the rain and we couldn't string passes together. Um, you know, it was you look you switch the stream on and you saw the wind howling across the pitch and the rain coming down and you thought, oh, here we go. This is going to be one of those games where we're going to struggle to get hold of the ball. We can't play the nice passes that we normally do. And you're going to have one half where you're playing with the wind. And depending on whether you play the first half or the second half with the wind, you know, you could be under real pressure. And then, like you say, talking it up by conceding a, a, an equaliser in the 80th minute and then, a, you know, them winning the game in the 87th just wouldn't have surprised me at all. I think this was probably our most impressive result of the season, I would say. And bearing in mind, we've gone to Hartlepool and thumped them 5-0. I would say this, when we look back at it, was the moment. And the reason I say it's probably our most impressive result is because, as Nick just alluded to, you could make a million and one excuses for losing that match. And you'd say, yep, yeah, fair enough, that was a match that we, 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 you know, we lost and... Uh, this that never happened and that's why we lost it but we didn't and 48 hours after playing we turned up and I said at the time um, I thought we looked a class above Chesterfield even and bearing in mind you got Scott Bowden out the team now so that's another player to add to the, to the, to the missing list because he couldn't play against uh, um, the club who furloughed him so it was a very inexperienced sort of front line but you wouldn't know it by the way that we played no to um I've been thinking not all day I've had other things to do like but I've been thinking at periods throughout the day that we've been saying we play well or we play not so well or badly even if we win if we go a bit more direct if we go a little bit longer if we allow the opposition to have the ball and just kind of contain them as much as we have to I'm not actually convinced they're the right words I think that if we If we let the opposition have the ball, we do it deliberately. And it's a perfectly reasonable tactic. It's a bit like being a a counter puncher in if you're boxing or something else. You know, you wouldn't get it saying Formula One. There's no Formula One driver that would go, right, I'm going to start on pole, but then I'm going to drop back to eighth. Let everybody else wear themselves out and then I'm going to overtake everybody late on. That's not how you win a Formula One race. You get to the front, you stay there. In football, there's different ways of winning 
the game. And although I really, really enjoy watching our side play the way we did against Eastleigh, have the ball, get it down, pass it around, just move teams and players out of position, then utilise that space. I don't actually hate watching us do what we did to Chesterfield, which is essentially let them have it and just punch themselves out. They ran around a lot. They passed the ball a fair amount. Yeah, fair enough. But how many saves did Kovalan make? One from that header late on in the first half? Yeah. That was basically all he did. They snuck the ball under him. He made the mistake for that Yusuf chance. I will grant you, cleared off the line. Good bit of defender. I think it was Moxie clearing it off Moxie, the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which for a man of you know, who has to use his head more than his his body now because of his age and that, yeah, it really showed. Did really nicely. But I don't think we didn't play well. I know nobody suggested we didn't, but I don't think it's it's fair to say we didn't play as well in the Chesterfield game as we did in the Easter game. We just played equally as well, but differently. Yeah, absolutely. I, I for me. It's funny that Ben says one of the best performances of the season because that's exactly what I wrote down. I said it was one of our most complete performances because, as you say, we let we let them play. We let them have the ball. We let them think that they could come on to us. And, you know, we then went and, and hit them for, for goals. Um, it was a little bit like uh, Buckle said about the Cambridge game. He said, we worked on it quite deliberately to let them have the ball to let them come on to us because we knew we had the quality to actually play around them when we got the ball. We could play differently, but we could we could do exactly what we needed to do to get the win. And I I think it was it was quite similar for me to the uh, the Solihull game away when we sort of we we'd scored the early goal and we then I think we soaked up a fair bit of pressure and Billy Waters scored on the break after about an hour or so. And that for me was was very very similar to to Monday in that we we knew that they were going to have the ball we knew that they were going to have chances and we did exactly what we needed to do to win the game. No, I agree. And when you get the early goal as we did, you it, it's the onus is very much on them to to bring the game to us. But um, I thought they played extremely narrow. I thought they were very predictable. They just kept giving the ball to Danny Rowe and he kept uh, fouling it up. And they're very easy to play against. But when you've got Asa Hall, 34, Dean Moxley, 35, Gary Warren, 36, these guys are playing two games in, in 48 hours. You don't want to be playing all-action football and running them into the ground. You want to be you know, trying to preserve their energy as much as possible. And I'd especially play, uh, pay testament to Gary Warren, who I thought was outstanding in the two games, considering he hasn't really had a lot of football in, in, in the last few months. But... I just get the feeling that he's a very, very good bloke to have in the dressing room. I really hope that lads like um, Joe Lewis and um, Sam Shering have been, and and Carl Cameron for that that matter, have been learning off him because I think he's a very wise old owl. And I think uh, you can see he knows exactly how to defend, even if his legs won't let him do that anymore. And I only read today that he dislocated his finger in the first half. In the first half. I, I uh, was reading an article on Torbay Weekly and Gary Johnson had said that uh, he dislocated his finger in the first half and at half time he basically came in, his finger was pointing in the wrong direction <laughs> and he just said to Kai, just pop it back in, mate. And he just cracked on and played for the you know the next 40 minutes. That's, That's worth another one-year contract next season. Yeah. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the beauty of experience. I remember uh, whoever our manager was 
when we had Nathan Craig in. Something, Nail. I can't remember. Uh, I think it might have been Alan Neil, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was uh, I was talking to him about Nathan Craig and the injury, because Craig was out injured. I think he'd done a hamstring. He'd asked, I think, to go off quite early in a game that we then hadn't done very well in. And um, I was talking to Neil about Craig, and he said, well, maybe, because this, this was Nathan Craig's first ever injury. He'd never even, like, turned an ankle or anything. Um, so maybe he said if uh, if it had been some wise old owl of 35 who'd had hamstrings go and had done a knee and had done an ankle or whatever, he would know, oh, that doesn't feel right, but it's OK, I won't. Whereas Craig, having never hurt himself before, didn't know, felt something that was weird and thought, hmm, I better go off here, then asked to go off. And so maybe that's a little bit. I suppose if he's dislocated that finger a dozen times before in his career, it's like, oh, okay, finger's dislocated again. Fair enough. I'll just pop that back in. That's probably what that that extra experience gets you on an injury front. It's all seen it all before. Don't worry about it. That's useful. Um, that's useful feedback. Thanks, guys. Um, so yeah, having done that, well, what else happened in the Chesterfield game? Oh no, yeah, we can't possibly not talk about what was written about the uh, assist for the first goal from Jakey Andrews. Now, he'd already had an effort from 55 yards, Andrews. He'd seen um, Beckham had seen Sullivan off his line and, and gone for it. And it was probably just going wide of the target and wasn't hit hard enough anyway. So fine. I can kind of understand maybe if the commentator at the time had thought, oh, he's winding up to shoot here. But to write it in the press afterwards on a match report, when you've had time to see what actually happened and then sort of think about it a bit more, to write out that Jakey Andrews, who has received the ball from wide from probably Randell, looked up, given everybody the eyes, and slipped Connor Lemonhavens in from 40-odd yards. To them right, it was a scuffed pass-come shot, when what it actually was was the best assist that any of them at Chesterfield have seen all season is preposterous. He has seen it, he has laughed about it, we can laugh about it, but what a pass that was. How do you even spot that? that run or that space that the lemon is in from there and execute it that well when you're a conference level footballer. Ridiculous. The vision, the vision is something of a, something of a Premier League footballer, isn't it? I think, you know, I think Mr. Ballard was the one who wanted us to to, to talk about it because he, he very much enjoyed it. I think maybe a little too much, um, but no, it was, it was a, it was fantastic vision, wasn't it? it? You know, if it had been a Premier League footballer that had played that pass through, you'd be looking at it saying that's one of the assists of the season. It, it was fantastic. Well, he, he's got that in his locker and we, we know he has, but it's about getting that sort of quality out there consistently because um, he'll have games where he just drifts through it without really affecting it at all. But every once in a while, he'll just come out with a bit of magic like that or a free kick or uh, an undefendable corner. He, he's got unbelievable technique and he is... Uh, you know, all frustrations that people might have about him is so worth persevering with and trying to polish into something a bit more all round because I still don't quite know where his best position is. I'm not convinced he's all on the wing, but he, he does a good job out there for the team anyway. So I'd always try and find a place in my team for Jake Andrews. Definitely, I think, uh, you know, 
what he gives you in terms of effort and, and technique. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And also, I think Chris Ballard must have had a heart attack at half-time because not only was he creaming himself over that pass, he spent the last 48 hours badgering anybody who listened about a nutmeg that Conor Lemonay-Evans did on, on their guy. And it was a nice bit of play, in fairness, but um, I'm not sure it wanted quite that much excitement. He's, he's poor old Chris. He lives in the sticks in a no-mark state way out there in the, um, in the east coast of the United States. He doesn't have a lot in his life. So when he sees something he likes, he, he tends to latch onto it. it yeah, it was a lovely nutmeg. And we should we should mention it. Connor, I hope you're listening. Brilliant. Thank you. Please do more of that. Because it was nice. He just sucked the guy in. He was right. Let's um let's see if I can get this guy to to commit himself and I'll just nick it through his legs and, and create a chance. Very, very nice bit of play. But yeah, probably not quite as good as Ballard um has been making out. So that's Drew from Ballard we've had to go out on this um, podcast. I wonder how many more contributors that we can have a pop at before the end of the episode. <laughs> well, they're all too busy to listen to this because uh, they're, they're so unavailable all the time. They've just got massive social lives and other engagements, so they, they won't hear any of this. So what I want to know, we've sorry, listeners, you're going to get bored with this. This is internal um, talking-talky podcast politics. What are you people all doing? I have everything is closed. I'm a busy, busy guy. And I'm available at the drop of a hat at the minute because fuck all's open. Where are they all going? They're very strange. Very they strange. make me feel very inadequate. <laughs> I feel like my diary is a blank piece of paper. Yes, every every time we go, who's available to record the podcast? I go, well, I am because um, I'm not doing anything else. Uh, you actually, um, I don't know whether you spotted on Twitter, you got up. The other day, this is just to set up your excuse for why you're always available because you have to go to bed at like 8 p.m. You got up earlier the other day than I went to bed from the from the previous day, Incredible. which was quite amusing. I spotted you on Twitter. I thought, God, what bloody time is it? He's up late. Oh no, he's not. He's up early. Fair no, enough. He's just he's just up at his normal going to work time. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's about four o'clock in the morning, and I was still fannying about doing things. So. Yeah, that was that was one nil. Anyway, great bit of play from Andrews. Really, really nice finish from um, the lemon who just sat the goalie down and whipped it in at the near post. Very nice. Couldn't miss really. Uh, what was the second goal? Oh, second goal is really warm. It's yeah, probably my nuts. probably my moment of the season. I have to say, um, on the half volley, crimps in from twenty yards out. Second great goal in in two days. Um, you know, proving his worth and um, I. I don't think he could, you know, he ran himself into the ground uh, in both those games. But um, my moment of the season has to be Scotty Bowden running from the top of the stand down the stairs to give uh, Billy Waters a massive cuddle and absolutely rip the heart and soul out of every single Chesterfield supporter in the land who collectively have lost their shit over it. And if that's not worth a two-year contract and the player of the season immediately being awarded to Scott Bowden, I don't know what is. I agree with you completely. It was it was one of those moments that the 37 Chesterfield fans that were, were watching the game just completely melted down over. And all I thought was, hang on a minute, guys, you furloughed the bloke. You you stopped him from playing football and stopped him from doing anything. And we picked him up because we were desperate for somebody. And now because he celebrated a goal for the side who actually gave him a chance to play football, you're just so unfairly badgering the bloke about him not giving a shit about Chesterfield. Well, quite frankly, with what you did to him, your, what your club did to him, he doesn't He doesn't need to give a shit about you. 
when he gets a league medals winner, uh, a league winner's medal, I should say, uh, in a few weeks' time and parades it around Chesterfield like the king that he is, you know, they can, they can talk to him then. Simple as that. Yeah, do, do Chesterfield fans, if you're listening, do make sure to, to catch that. There will be an open top bus tour and I'm absolutely certain it will be broadcast live on TV. So you'll be able to see him there and then and see what happened to the guy that apparently couldn't get into your side, your mid-table side. But that, that's by the by. So, yeah, incredible. Really, um, really good stuff from I, I quite like the way that the, there was a steward there seemingly only to guard him. Um, and was, you can you can tell when Bowden's coming down in the highlights because the steward is going no waving him back up no no Bowden just walks past him oh, shut up you silly man goes and sees his friend and then goes and sits back down yeah um, the the new prince of Playmore I'm very happy to to announce is Scotty Bowden I've always liked him I, I'm going to sound a bit like Drift now and I but I, yeah I've always quite liked Scott Bowden I've, he's always been one of those players who has turned up at Playmore I've seen his name on the team sheet and gone oh shit. So to have him in our side, a bit like when we had Sean Harrod and when we had Brett Williams and whatnot, I am I'm just grateful he's turning out for us rather than turning out against us. So yeah, very happy. Um, in terms of the actual goal that caused all this, uh, watch the highlights again and try and pause it when Billy Waters starts making the run. Now, Billy's one of those players who has demonstrated time and again that he can't be given time to think because he goes to pieces. His brain can't talk to his legs. His legs turn to mush or something when he has any sort of time to find a finish, which is why in the 93rd minute when he was put clean through, he sort of got there. All he had to do was just roll it in the net. And instead he tried to square it back to Armani Little, who, who couldn't collect a pass and he you know, ran out of play, out of position, whatever. Um, but he... His, the, where his brain works is in seeing what's coming next. And he is peeling off the back of his defender to make a little looped run to get on the end of the, the flick that came from Josh Umera before whoever wins it on the left wing, the long free kick, has even won it. So long Sharing. free kick is way out on Sharing, thank you, way out onto that uh, right-hand side. Sharing with quite a deft little flick. Then Umera with a header and then water strikes it into the net. Waters is moving while the ball is still in the air from the initial free kick, and he's moving to his fine, in one swift movement to the final position where he strikes the ball into the net. That's what Billy Waters gives you, is that that knowing what is coming next, that gambling and knowing what's coming next. Ridiculously fine finish. Should the goalkeeper have done better, do we think? I think he probably should have done but let's face it, he plays for Chesterfield, so he's already failed in life. So, uh, you know, don't worry about that. Um, I think Waters has scored some really important goals this season. And we'll look back at some of the goals he scored and think, that was a turning point. That was a turning point. Oh, we needed that. That was important. And I think he's a really good squad player. I think he's one of those guys who everyone likes, everyone gets along with. I listened to all those um, interviews with... Um, uh, players before home games on the stream and one of the things is uh, music man and um, best dancer and Billy's always mentioned so he's clearly a popular guy who keeps the other spirits up in the dressing room and um, let's not forget he's a league winner with Chesterfield uh, not Chesterfield not Chesterfield clearly not Chesterfield with, with, with Cheltenham under Gary so he, he's been done it before so he knows what it takes as well and I should appreciate his tireless running 
we've seen well, in the last the last couple of weeks how oh why sorry why Gary Johnson brought him in in the first place yeah. because he's come off the bench in a few games and then he's started the last three or four and been brilliant yeah. you know having having criticised and I know I said uh, you know I, I sort of apologised to him last last time out but he's been brilliant and and especially over the weekend I mean he was probably the best player over the two games just down to sheer work rate and, and you know, his work ethic. And you're right about he's he seems to be worse when he's got time to think about what he's got to do. Because, you know, there was the chance when he could have made it 3-0 uh, on Monday, but there was also the chance sort of towards injury time on Saturday when he, he sort of cut inside a defender and you thought, you've got the whole goal to aim at and the keeper doesn't really know what's going on and he sort of just passed it back to him. Um, oh, but yeah. You know, they, yeah, they, should have found yeah. Scott Bowden, shouldn't he? Uh, Scott Bowden should have found um, whoever was to his left. Can't remember. Whoever the striker was to his left, we just stood there in acres of space at the end of that move. And he's, I know what one you mean. Yeah, he just passed it back to the goal. He hit the bloody thing. He was on the left peg as well, that he banged that one in earlier in the weekend. No, have you seen Have you seen the goal from Bristow's bench? I mean, it looked good on the camera we get from the stream uh, from the top of the pop side, but on the bench it is one hell of a finish I mean yes, talk about not giving the goalkeeper a chance it was unbelievable he could have had a step ladder and a week's notice that goalie and he still wouldn't have got anywhere near it I really like goals that make the goal look enormous yeah. Aces did it um, the Truro goal New Year's Day or mm. Boxing Day whatever it was where you you, you sort of think well, how how has he beaten the goalkeeper so comprehensively when the goalie's in the right position? Uh, your favourite goal um, from before my time, your favourite goal, Ben. Um, McCall, McCall, McCall against Scarborough, yeah. yeah. My God. Just, it, he could have, they could have had three goalies in and none of them would have got anywhere near it because it was so well placed. And I say aces, and that was another one where he just, the goal, eight yards wide and eight feet tall, it looked like it was about eight miles wide. The goalkeeper was just his speck, miles and miles from where the ball went. Absolutely loved it. And you're right, from the bench, it's such a good goal. I could watch it all day, and I probably will. It'll probably be one of those that I go and revisit on YouTube from time to time, just for fun. Anyway, all that said, it does appear that we were watching a completely different game to the one which the Chesterfield manager was uh, watching. Um, yeah. I mean, if you if you listen to his interview after the game, it is just bizarre. I don't think I've ever heard anything quite like it. He seemed to have a, a bee in his bonnet with both the interviewer and his questions, with the the dimensions in which the game was played, with... The number of final third entries, I mean, Christ, that's up there with pre-assist as fucking ridiculous terminology that people are using now. And you just thought, and the, the thing that I highlighted as well was that his interview mirrored Pemberton when Pemberton was in charge when we beat them at Plainmore. And both of them, I don't know, I don't know what they put in the water, what they put in the, the post-match bottle of wine that they drink up there, but it's like he wasn't even there. Yeah, he certainly didn't watch the same game I did. I mean, just, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, Chief. Yeah, OK, you had you, you, your statistician has got his abacus out and has worked out the heat map for where the ball was on average. But how many goals did you score? Surely that makes it worse. 
Your manager comes out and says, yeah, we've had all week to work on this and we've had all the possession and all the territory and we've had one shot that that we force their goalkeeper to save. Surely he needs the next words out of his mouth need to be, and for that reason, I tender my immediate resignation. <laughs> it's like, I said... I don't, this isn't quite the defence of your coaching skills that you seem to think it is, Chief. Because if you've done all this and you've still lost, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you, you've got to be a, have the ball by all means, but be effective with it. If you're going to have the ball, get in behind us. Didn't get in behind us once. Force I mean, the goalkeeper is... to, to have a blinder. Coverland could probably have stayed at home and we wouldn't have lost the game. You, you tell me. Bloke's a lunatic. This is why we've got to get promoted this season, just to gal this league full of lunatics and maniacs and absolute clown shoes. You know, every week you come across some, some idiot who's watched a different game to what I have, coming out with all this weird nonsense. You know, let's go back to playing proper football teams in proper football stadiums. Yeah, you'll be, um, just on that note, you'll be unsurprised to hear, um, I have put this on Twitter, I apologise if you're hearing this joke for the millionth time, but has there ever been a more League One relegation zone than Rochdale, Bristol Rovers, Northampton Town and Swindon Town? They are just, if you had to say, you said, right, there's a, pick a random date in history, which four teams are in the League One relegation places you would pick those for every single time and the only time you'd be wrong is if they were in the league two playoff positions which is where they spend the other half of their lives yeah up and down up and down so they've come down another reason we need to be promoted is because south end have come down all right they're a bit of a shambles that's probably going to get sorted out between now and next season so expect them to do well uh, and Grimsby, not been in the conference for a little while, but probably a pretty good side. Quite a draw. I saw somebody today, um, our friend in Brazil, Talk United Brazil supporter, man, who tweets everything that the club tweets just in Portuguese. Amazing. Great effort. Um, Bruno, I hope you're listening. Good luck to you, Chief. Um, he, he has tweeted today that apparently Grimsby are after Benji Kimpioca from, you know, our lonee from... Um, Sunderland. I don't, I don't know enough about the guy really to know whether that's a good fit. But Grimsby, I don't know. Maybe they can have, they can, they can have him in July. <laughs> yeah, can't have him tomorrow. No, don't, sorry. Don't, 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 not interested in in him going anywhere at the moment. They can have him in July. I mean, I, if we go up, it'd be nice to get him back again. I suspect he's going to go back and do some stuff for Sunderland. He, he's he's a pretty good player. Um, I think Grimsby have just been taken over as well, haven't they? Are, is it, is that Thomas Feeney on Twitter said something along the lines of I think Grimsby have been taken over, so they're going to be a, they're going to be a player again next season where they're going to probably invest to try and get back up while they've still got the money to do so. I think the Benji thing, you know, it's just been a favour from uh, son to father for us, isn't it, to help us through a lean period with injuries and, and whatnot, and he's given us the best player he can afford to lose for you know a small period of time, but. I don't think he really wanted to send a player the whole length of the country during a pandemic, you know, but because it's, it was his dad, he, he's done it. But Grimsby would be a better fit for him as it's only down the road from Sunderland next season. Yeah. So, you know, it's probably, it, there might be some credence to that. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't pay much attention to rumours anyway, but could be. But, but, but good luck to him. I think he's a good player. And if we get him next season, then I'd be delighted to have him on board. But, you know, just see what happens. Yeah, great work, right? He just needs um, needs a few more games. I think just needs to be a little bit more pitch time. Uh, I read the Talkie Talk 
write up, which was done by Clive Hayward, who is always excellent. Um, I'd, I'd read anything that guy wrote. He's a nice, I'd, nice fella. I'd, I'd say he's the best of the two Haywards, to be honest. If we're going to Absol- carry oh, yeah, on. God, yeah. I mean, if if we could have got him on this podcast rather than uh, Hayward Junior, I'd have fallen over myself for that. Clive, if you're listening, mate, there's a seat at the table. Um, you know, please get in touch. Um, who said that he didn't think Benji had a particularly good game? Um, I don't know whether I agree with that or not. Um, I don't think he was very involved in the Chesterfield game. Uh, but I was still surprised to see his number go up when we started making changes. We started, well, I think he came off for little, uh, which I thought was maybe a little bit harsh on him. Who he, He'd sort of got hold of the ball a little bit more. We didn't play his way, did we, really? We didn't really have a lot of the ball to get up to him. I thought he was maybe a little bit unlucky to be A, taken off, and then B, graded quite poorly um, in some reviews, but each to their own. Yeah, I don't think he had a particularly bad game. I don't like you say he didn't. He didn't really play to his sort of style. Um, I think the reason he came off when he did was probably more to the fact that he'd had about half an hour of football since since he last yeah. went out. So it was a. It was just one of those manage him, get him right, and you know we've got as we've said four massive, massive games coming up, and and everybody's going to be very important. So there was no point in running him into the ground. You had you had Billy Waters up there who could do that. And, you know, we, we, we were under pressure whilst they didn't create anything. We were, we were as, as the Chesterfield manager said, we were sort of camped in our own half for most of that second half. So it was, you know, we just packed another body in there and, and let Billy Waters do a bit of running up front, supported by Connor. But, yeah, I, I think it was, it was probably right to take him off when we did in order just more to protect his fitness than anything else. Yeah. On the subject of substitutions, can I just say that I found it uh, brilliant that we, uh, when we were protecting a 2-0 lead in a game we had to win, we took a centre-half off and placed him with a centre-forward. And I think that's just Gary Johnson just showing that he's the best manager of all time again. That's how we, that's how we do it. That's, that's how we roll. You know, we'll, we'll just chuck a player on somewhere and find some way of making it fit. doesn't matter who. And uh, we'll carry on. We are well, so worried about you. We are going to take off a defender. <laughs> After, um, who was it where we put um, Carl Cameron on the left wing? Five, Sutton. Oh, Sutton, yeah. We, yeah, right. six-pointer. Six Motion six-pointer. What can we do? We've got this centre-half who's been injured for six weeks. Let's just bung him on on the left wing, see what happens. Oh, three minutes later. Oh, we've taken the lead. Brilliant, amazing. Absolutely incredible. Gary, I... You have forgotten more since we started recording this podcast than I will ever know about football, and it shows because I fucking unbelievable, ridiculous. So, I think that was basically what happened to us on um, on the Bank Holiday weekend, over the Bank Holiday weekend. What happened to everyone else was sort of almost as interesting. So, Notts County managed on the Saturday. I'm not really worried about Notts County, but I sort of want to talk about them because they are the biggest team in the division and they aren't doing very well. So it amuses me that we're we're doing better than well, one of the oldest clubs in the world. They, they sacked a proper manager and replaced them with just some generic person off the street, as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's, it's a baffling decision, isn't it? Really, really strange decision. And people are still blaming Ardley for problems that are ongoing now. And that's it's almost like when you hear people blaming, like, oh, the bloody, bloody liberal lefty Labour government stitching up the country. It's like, guys, it's been 11 years. If you haven't got your way by now, your way's not right. <laughs> you know what? Your way's not happening. And it's sort of a bit similar with this, you know, blaming 
team selection that this Birchinal has made on our oh, it's Ardley's fault because he's left us with a load of load of rubbish. It's like you've had three or four months and an unlimited budget to go and sign whoever you like. This is the team this Birchinal wants. Have at it. Off you go. Yeah, he's a lunatic. His assistant manager has, um, for once I'm going to temper what I say here, has left his role um, under a bit of a cloud because he has apparently compared a Dutch winger with those African players that come over here and are much older than they say they are, which is obviously not a fucking cool thing to say. Um, And he jumped before he was pushed, which was probably the best thing that could have happened to him. Um, but then they did us a favour, didn't they? Saturday, they did us a favour by not being very good again and dropping more points. And then on Monday, they did us... No, Tuesday, they had a, an extra day and they did us another favour by beating Sutton in bizarre Gary Johnson-esque circumstances. And I'm very pleased. Yeah, didn't they? It was it was one of those... I, I mean, I watched the second half. I, I sort of followed the first half a little bit. And then watched most of the second half while I was cooking dinner, um, and it was very much a. It was it was a it was an odd game because they had their man sent off whilst they were preparing to bring him off. He went flying into a challenge, a little bit Dean Moxie style, where he he had no he had no chance of winning the ball. The guys just nicked the ball past him, and he's he's clattered into him. But then from then until the end of the game, they were the Sutton were okay. But Notts County were the side that were likely to win. Um, and you kind of thought the game was petering out into a draw. They scored a goal which should have been should have been allowed, uh, was ruled out for offside. And then, I mean, we we berated Mark Ellis a couple of weeks ago when he we thought he got Josh Mera sent off, but he is still bandaged up from that day. Um, and he sort of has done more for, for Torquay since he since he left now. So um he he got himself clipped on the edge of the box I'm not going to say foul because I'm I'm still not convinced having seen it two or three times that it was a uh, as bad as as he certainly made out with his Italian style rolling around in the D um but the referee bought it and some gentleman with a a surname I I can't remember at this stage tucked the penalty away and, and scored his second of the game he was a very good player actually um, and yeah, so Sutton dropped the points, which now means that they can't catch us. If if we all won all, all the rest of our games, they now cannot go above us, which has, has been the sort of thing that's been hanging over us for a little while. Yeah, all yeah. season they've had dozens and dozens of games in hand and nobody really knows how. Um, so for some bizarre reason, every time we they play and catch us up, within days they've had another week off for apparently no reason quite why they for their own sake why they haven't tried to rearrange one of the later maybe tuesday games to a free saturday when they would have been playing dover or macclesfield or whoever um entirely beyond me but maybe they've the whole while they've wanted the psychological thing of we've got a game in hand lads we've got a couple of games in hand lads and well that doesn't matter now you've got to have i'm much old football cliche i'd rather have the points and we've got the points thanks very much well, originally, I was fuming that they had an extra um, 30 hours to prepare than we did, uh, or 30 hours to rest, or, or however you want to spin it. Um, and I was full and ready, going to use that as an excuse, as and when we lost to Chesterfield and they picked up the points. But happily, it probably worked in our favour, because they looked at that four-point gap and thought, hmm, 
that's a lot, isn't it? And then, I mean, I, I didn't watch the game. Um, I tried to avoid it as best I could, but my phone was going off in various groups. My part of every 20 seconds. So I just ended up reading what everyone was saying and almost listening to it via that in the end. But um, I, I even even when they were two one down, I got the feeling they were going to scab it anyway. So I was dancing around my house when uh, the penalty was awarded and then dispatched Cooley. And uh, it made me laugh at the whole of the National League has reacted as if it's our fault that um, Sutton conceded a 94th minute penalty and Notts County scored a 94th minute penalty as if we had any sort of say in the matter. Um, they're just calling us the scabbiest team in the world. Um, and, you know, bring it on. Yeah, bring it on. They can say whatever they like because when we win the league and we go up to the League Two... They can all fight it out for the one remaining playoff place to go up as well. And then the rest of them can have another season going to Dover and fucking Barnet. Good luck to you, fellas. That's yeah. gonna be these playoffs are gonna be. I mean, just forget Garnage. whether we're involved in them or not. It's gonna be a bloodbath, isn't it? With some of the team and the division for the next few years is just gonna they've got it. I've seen a lot more talk recently from teams like Notts County and Chesterfield and Eastley and that. So to be expected, but a lot more pressure now coming from teams involved at the top of uh, the conference saying there's got to be two autos and one um, one playoff place. You've got to relegate three from League Two and you've got to promote promote decent sides. There was somebody who's, who did he say? I can't remember. There was in a, something I heard and I can't remember where I heard it, but he said... Um, he got like 95 points or something with a conference team one year and they lost out to, I think, Lincoln, who got 99. Oh, that was, um, that was Tranmere. It was Nigel Adderley was talking on the uh, National Obsession podcast and it was yes, brilliant. Was. Really was good episode. Right. Yes, it was. You should listen to it. Although it isn't a Talkie United podcast, we should point that out. It is a general National League podcast. Um, Talkie fans would be well advised to listen to it if you don't already. Um, yeah, you're quite right. He was, yeah, nine, 95 points and not going. You can't have that. And in the same vein that you can't have teams at the bottom of League Two getting like 38 points in a season and not going down because there are two teams below them in dire financial trouble and whatever else. So, no, time to equalise that up, I think. We need three down from there and um, and three up from from the conference. But we'll worry about that if we're ever in the conference again, because obviously this year we're going up. Uh, are we going to beat Bromley? What's going to happen when we play Bromley on Saturday? Uh, Any idea? Um, I like to give it large all the time on <laughs> this podcast and on Twitter. Anyone who's followed me knows I, I like to just uh, uh, give it as large as I possibly can. But let's be honest for a moment. We've, Realistically, we've got to win all four of these games. We, we don't have to, but realistically speaking, we need to win all four of these games. And I've been a Talking Eyes fan long enough to know that's not a given. Uh, Matt already pointed out a season under Ling where we didn't win any of our final five games. Um, the season before that under Buckle, we didn't win any of our final five games and threw away automatic promotion. To go back to 1998, we only won one in our last nine games. Um so, and we were dead search to go up that season. It was ridiculous. And then somehow we won 7-2 in the playoffs. We thought, okay, we'll go up in the playoffs then. And we lost in the final that season anyway. So we threw it away twice. So as a Torquay fan, you should never expect it to be done the easy way. That said, this season, 
with Gary Johnson in charge, it does feel different. If there was one person in the world I'd want to guide a team out of the out of the National League, it's Gary Johnson. And not only that, we've got a squad of players who are used to getting out and winning leagues. So I think it feels to me slightly different to previous seasons. But you know, one game at a time. My, you know, my my head saying, you know, we're going to piss this easy. My heart saying, just take it one game at a fucking time, you fucking idiot. You know, and that's what we've got to do. <laughs> yeah, you're quite right. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the the kind of stats for the top scorers for Bromley, but my my thinking is get Dean Moxie to smash Michael Cheek early doors, yeah. and they've got they've got nothing else in their team as far as mm. I can tell because he scored 22, and I think the next highest scorer has got about four. <laughs> Yeah, okay, fair enough. All eggs in one basket. Well, we've seen what happened, actually, when Chesterfield were going great guns. They won five in a row. Then Asante got hurt. Asante? Is that the right guy? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so then they went out and signed Rowe, and obviously he's useless. Um, And they've hardly scored a goal since. I've always been wary of teams that put all their eggs in one basket. I would rather we had five players each getting eight than I would one guy getting 35 and the next highest scorer getting whatever. Because actually, speaking of Danny Rowe, you what you look at Fylde, and for five years or whatever it was, he got, say, 40 goals a season for Fylde, but they were only scoring 55 or 60 in a season. And you, you keep saying, yeah, but lads, what, what happens if he leaves? What happens if he breaks his leg after a fortnight of the season and he's out? What are you going to do? And then one, one year we found out Danny Rowe left and they got relegated. <laughs> They finish bottom. That's what's going to happen. So, yeah, I I concur with that. I don't necessarily want to see us um, reduced to 10 men, but if we effectively played 10 v 10, because you take Cheek out of the game and you take, for example, Dean Muxie out of the game because he's steamrolled through him and, and got himself sent off, is our 10 better than their 10 with their goal threat gone or their 11 with their goal threat gone? Probably, yeah. So I, I don't know. Is that something that we can advocate? I'm not going to advocate the violence. No, absolutely not. I mean, you just want to, you want to see a, a nice firm challenge. You want to see you want to see Sam Sherring mark him out of the game like he like they did with Danny Rowe on Monday. You want to see you want to see Gary Warren have him in his back pocket and take him out as as the you know Bromley coaches departing at <laughs> half past seven. Um, so no, obviously we don't advocate any kind of red card tackles or anything like that but if we can keep him quiet i'm pretty confident that we can keep the rest of their team quiet cool. i think playing at 520 i haven't worked out whether that's going to give us an advantage or a disadvantage at the moment i'm a bit wary that if a gap is one point again because sutton have won i don't know who they're playing because um you know i don't 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 pay attention but i'm a bit wary that if the, the pressure on the team on us you know, to, to maintain that four-point gap, it's the sort of game which could we could come a cropper at. Having done so much hard work against Chesterfield and Eastleigh, it, it does feel like the sort of game where we could come a cropper. Um, I don't know. I mean, the <laughs> way, way we're playing, I feel like we're peaking at the right time. It feels to me like we're sprinting towards the finishing line, and it seems to me other teams are limping towards the finishing line. It does have very much a feeling of a National League season where 
Wilkin gave us a good race, and in the end, they just completely died, and we 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 strolled it. It felt like those that Wilkin game, where it wasn't where we actually sealed it. We sealed it against Eastbourne the following week, which was a game we had to win, and no one ever mentions that. Mm. And we didn't play particularly well, but we got the job done. And to me, I think the Bromley game feels a bit like that. Just one of those games. Just just be professional. Nothing spectacular. Get the game won. And that's it. Yeah, we we broke we broke their spirit, Woking, didn't we? In that in that National League South season, that that was that was when their their back was broken and they, and they couldn't come back at us. It yeah. wasn't where mathematically we were up, but like you like you say, with one game less to play this season, with another three points on the board, you feel like even though Stockport could end up two points behind us and us having to go there the following week, you just feel like if we can win, it. It just takes another game out of the equation. It yeah. just makes it that little bit harder for them. We'd have to drop points in both the Stockport game and in in other games as well. Yeah, if you figure that we probably do have to drop points in two games out of four, well, that, that's half our games. We are we currently average boring mass point. We currently average exactly two points a game which obviously over four games is going to get us eight points, which probably isn't enough. I suspect, I mean, yeah, it isn't enough. I suspect nine points will be enough because even if we lose to Stockport, they're still two, two behind us if we win our other three and they win all the rest of theirs. So I suspect that nine points out of 12 will be enough. If we don't drop any against Bromley, even if you chalk up Stockport, if you'll say a, a uh, Sutton fan, if you're looking at our fixtures and think, well, okay, we'll chalk up the loss against um, Stockport. If we don't drop points against Bromley, you're then looking at us playing Barnet and Altrincham and going, well, which of those two sides, I think are in the bottom five, are the team who are top and have been winning every week realistically going to drop points to? I don't know. Is that a question of being a bit you've just said about breaking some spirits does that break the back of it so it just gets the final day in first place so if you yes, just please. make it as simple as possible turn up at Altrincham, win the match go home don't worry about any other team that's that's what we've got to get down to just make sure that we're in top spot going into the game at Altrincham. That, that that's all i ask for and i think we'll be okay yeah that, yeah that you're Look at, looking at looking at the remaining games, you know we've all got four. Sutton have got uh, got five, haven't they? Still, yeah. But they they have they have the run in to win the league, but whether they have the form and the players now to win the league is is another matter entirely. Yeah. I think Gary Johnson just gives us an extra couple of points just by being Gary Johnson. You know, he's, he's wrote the book on getting promoted. Um, He'll have a player. You look at the players. The players just look formidable. They look confident. They they look like they know what they're doing. They look focused. Um, you know, we've suddenly in the last few games actually got players settled. You know, you can pick pretty much Acer, Randall, Andrews, Evans. They're all putting in seven, eight out of ten every single week now. Uh, Waters has come into his own. Um, you know, you've got players like Bowden who are desperate to to make a claim for next season. So, as a squad, we look strong with even more strength to come if we need it um, from players who have been injured. Um, I said on Twitter um, 
this is probably the most important four games I can remember as a Talk United fan. It, it just feels if we don't go up this season, we're probably going to end up staying in the National League again for a very, very long time. And we've worked so hard to get ourselves back into the position where it's in our own hands. Um, and it's been a massive effort. And I, I couldn't see it coming. And it, it's been amazing to watch it happen. And it would just be a massive shame if all that came up and blew up in smoke. So I, I, I know that Gary Johnson will have thought of all this and he'll he'll prepare the players to, 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 to play the best they possibly can in each of those four games. Yeah, I, I sincerely, I mean, I believe it's right and I sincerely hope it's right because, man alive, it, oh God, having not won a division, never won a league in a hundred and odd years and then to win two in, effectively two in two years because you can't count last year because we didn't finish the season, two in two years. I mean, that's got to be worthy of a statue, isn't it, surely? Of Sir Gary outside the, uh, outside the, the entrance to Plainmore somewhere, surely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he certainly is uh, from a from a purely a football management viewpoint. He he's head and shoulders about above things that we've had in the past since since managers before my time. You know, you, you get some of the managers that that crop up the the kind of the Franco Farrell stuff that you we, you know you, you never got to see. But you know, Gary Johnson is is the most capable manager, motivator, tactician that I've known. Leroy came in and, and he gave the players freedom and said, we've got a front six, go and do whatever you want to do, whatever you can do. We had Buckle who came in and, and had a had a, a budget. We were a, we were a pretty heavy hitter when when he was there. And I think it's one of those that we have now the, the best manager in the league. We have the best manager that we've had in, in quite some time. And yeah, I, I think we're, we're so lucky that we've got him at the moment that hopefully that is worth the, the point or two that, that just sees us over the line. It'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Here's hoping. Um, right, and is there any more, any other business? Do we need to mention anything else? I mean, I suppose Bromley being the penultimate home game of the season would be when you'd vote for your player of the season, so... Oh, yeah, that's true, do, yeah. Do, do you go for... I mean, for me, I'd be, I'd be walking up to the to the stand with the piece of paper and the pen thinking, I don't know whether I'm going to write Hall or Randall. That mm. that would be just for me. Those two have been just phenomenal this season with honourable mentions to, to people like Sam Shering, who's had a fantastic season. Um, but yeah, I think Hall and, Hall and Randall for me. And because Hall's 34, he'd probably edge it and Randall would still qualify for a young player of the year. So that's where my two votes would go, I think. Uh, I'd go Acer all day long because I remember plenty of discussions from people thinking he can't play two games in a week. This guy, <laughs> this guy's, you know, he, he's passed it. He's knackered. And I think more or less he's played pretty much every minute of the season, give or take. And I remember very early on in the season when he wasn't on the pitch, we were a lot, lot poorer for it noticeably. And uh, really, you can see the way he leads the team. He, he inspires the team. All the younger players look up to him, the way he carries himself. Uh, he's our top goal scorer as well. Uh, he looks the fittest player in the team. And uh, yeah, I, he's been amazing. He, he's been absolutely amazing. And I, I can't wait to watch him lift the trophy again. Yeah. Bloke's a machine. Deserves, uh, deserves all the plaudits. Yeah, exactly the same as you. 
Nick, I would, it would be a much more difficult decision if we didn't have the young player of the year category, if that just didn't exist, because then you've, if there was only one award. So it's all right, you've got to pick your, pick your favourite. I would really, really struggle. Um, but because young player of the year exists, just give it a whole, give player of the season to Hall, give young player of the season to Randell, uh, go home happy. It, it's as simple as that. And there are lots of honourable mentions. Nobody's done badly this year. Um, nobody that's mm-hmm. signed permanently for us has done badly this year. We've had a couple of rum low knees, but don't worry about them. They were swiftly dispatched. Um, no, you look, you, look, you look at someone like Matt Buse, who, you know, he's had a couple of uncertain performances, but in the last few weeks, he's come in and done a job and he's been absolutely brilliant. Even against Chesterfield, he came on, put himself about, protecting the back four, you know, and he'll, he'll play his part. Yeah, there's nobody out there who has stolen, if we do get them, and I think we will, but if we do, nobody has stolen a winner's medal. This isn't one of those occasions like where the the sub goalie appears for 10 minutes at the end of the semi-final and then the team goes on and wins the FA Cup and gets a bloody medal. Oh, well done for winning the, the FA Cup this year. And it's, I don't think so. We were 6-0 up against Grimsby in the semi-final and I came on just so I could get this medal. That's a bit of a cheat. Every single player that will get one has played their part in winning it. Um, I'd, and I'd, includes... I'd probably give Scotty Bowden two medals, if I'm completely honest. Um... <laughs> yeah, you've got to, you really? <laughs> one for Monday. One for shit out of the season. And all he did was come down and celebrate a goal. Yeah, good lad. So um, I think we'll probably do um, our um, season awards maybe after the season's finished. Just seems like the time to do it rather than doing it before. But I think we're all pretty much in agreement that if we were voting for our player of the season, it would be Asa Hall. And if if there is a, either a runners-up prize or a young player, it goes to Adam Randell. And I don't think there's anybody really who's sensibly who's seen this play is going to argue with any with either of those. So, yeah, very happy. Um, we'll do an awards show. Do it like Top Gear, last one of the season. We'll um, we'll give out some silly awards. I think that's it. Nearly an hour and a half in. And I think that is it. I think we've slagged off enough people for one night. Yeah, let's, let's go and... Um, give up when we're recording this. I'm going to go and watch the rest of the Chelsea Real Madrid game. Um, yeah, thanks very much, everybody, for, for joining us and putting up with an hour and a half of our nonsense. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I'm me, uh, so thank you very much to do it in reverse order. Ben Carey, thank you ever so much for your time this evening. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, and Nick, thank you for staying up long past your bedtime to be with us. Off to bed, no problem at all. Thank you very much to everybody for listening. Cheers, guys. Um, join us for episode 23, which will probably be Sunday if I can press gang enough people into recording it. Thank you. Bye bye.